guys, so good to be with you. Um, a few announcements for us this morning. Just want to welcome anyone who's new or visiting. My name's Coley. Every week we do offering. It just helps us uh, to pay for tech, to pay for books, and to pay for everything we do for women's Bible study. So no obligation to give. Uh, thank you so much for those of you that do give. It makes a difference in our ministry. Uh, three exciting things coming up. The first one, if you didn't mark your calendars yet, Serve Day through CA is coming up on Saturday, June 24th. Uh, this is when we as a community get to be the ambassadors in our city and go out and serve the city. And so Tanya is specifically going to be leading a women's ministry site. So if you have a heart to do service with other women, we're going to be a door of hope. You can sign up for that. I believe it's on the website now and we're looking at having maybe one or two other sites that women kind of own as our sites but regardless of if they're a women's site uh, all of CA is going to go out and serve and so you can choose a site that fits your desirability what you want to do and the projects I believe are listed online so mark that on your calendar June 24th Um, I want to put a special shout out. Uh, The men's conference is coming up May 19th and 20th. So if you know of any males, uh, you can invite them to that. But I also want to encourage us. uh, This is the first year that we had a men's turn men's team serve with us for our conference. If you were at women's conference, uh, men ran the lunch period. They did the coffee. They did a ton of behind the scenes stuff so that as women, uh, all women who wanted to could participate and didn't have to serve behind the scenes. And so we want to bless the men. If any of you have a heart to serve, we want to form a women's team so that all men can be present to what the teaching is, to the worship is, and they're not worried about coffee and lunch. And so I think the primary need is more for Saturday, May 20th. Um, But if that's something you're interested in, we just put a sign-out sheet in the back lobby. You can write your name and email, uh, and the men's admin will follow up with you on what opportunities there are to serve. But um, we felt very blessed by the men who served us at conference. So if that's something you have a heart for, I'd love to see just a team of women step alongside of our men so that they can be present to what the Lord wants to speak to them. So if that's something that you're interested in, sign-up sheet in the back, or you can see me, Jill or Tanya, and we'll let you know more details. Uh, And last but not least, we have our summer reading plan coming up. We do this every summer. Uh, We're going to spend 50 days reading the Bible together, and we've chosen small books in the New Testament. So we're going through uh, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And so it's a reading plan. We make a little printout, and really we just, as women, when Bible study isn't happening, we want to be encouraging each other to be in the Word. And so you can register to be on that. Uh, You'll get a monthly, or I think every two weeks, an email kind of about the book that we're going through. Um, And it's just a great way to be connected and stay in touch with women in the summer. We offer six weeks groups over the summer that could meet six weeks in a row, once every other week. Uh, We have a bunch of different group opportunities. So if that's something uh, that you're interested in leading, you're like, yeah, you know, I've never led before and I think I want to try starting with like a six-week group. It's a great way to get started in leadership. And if you're somebody who's led for a long time and you're like, yeah, I want my group to stay together. I'm going to lead again. Uh, We'll send out information about that and let you know. But we want as many women as possible in the word together so that summer we don't just throw Jesus by the wayside and go to the beach, but we're with Jesus. We bring him into everything that we do. And so this is one way that just helps us stay accountable and alive and active in the word. So you can sign up for that. Uh, Today our registration's open and we'll just keep you up updated on all the links, and you'll be able to find the actual physical reading plan uh, in the next few weeks. We'll have them in the lobby and other places at church that you can just pick one up and just go through the checklist so that you're reading the same thing together every week. Sound good? 
You guys are awesome. That's all the announcements that we have for today. We get to dive in to John 20 today. And so if you are new to the Christian faith, this is kind of the pinnacle chapter. This is when everything changes. We're gonna dive in to the resurrection. When Jesus, the past few weeks, we've walked with Jesus to the cross and we saw him crucified. He took on the sins of the world, took our penalty and went to the cross, hung on with my nails and now we get to see our God in action, our Jesus resurrected. And so that's what we're gonna do today um, is we're gonna dive into that passage. And so before we do, I just wanna pray for us that God would speak a fresh word to whoever's here and whoever has a heart or maybe you've been praying, God, I just, need a, I just need a word. I need to hear from you. I pray that tonight you would receive in the power of the resurrection what Jesus has for you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we invite you to be here among us, God. You are God with us. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. You gave your life so that we could have life abundant and you and life eternal with you. And Father, that's no small gift. And so, Lord, would you minister to us? You promise that your word does not return void. And so I just claim that promise over us tonight, Lord, that what we read about, what you did, Lord, conquering death, that that applies to us, Lord. That whatever feels too hard or too big or too pressuresome in our life, Lord, it's not too big for you, Father. And so we just invite you uh, to show us your power, to show us your might, and to show us how much you love us tonight, Jesus. So be among us and with us and give us eyes to see whatever it is in our life, Lord, that you specifically want to redeem and resurrect, Father. So I just pray a blessing over each woman here tonight, and thank you for the gift of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. We're going to, we're going to read the whole passage because I love John 20. So uh, we are going to be asking ourselves, I have five questions for us tonight that I want us to pause and consider what it means that Jesus died for us, that he went to the cross, that he conquered death. I want us to pause in that, because we can hear that. If you grew up in the church, you've, you know, we've heard the gospel, John 3, 16, for God so loves the world, and we can just zoom right by it in our mind. So I want us to kind of dig in and take a little break and breathe and say, what does this mean that Jesus conquered death and has given us life? So diving in, John 20. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I love that John always identifies himself as that. How often do we identify ourselves as that? I'm Coley, the one that he loves. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So the first question I want us to ask tonight is what are you searching for? What are you searching for? We see Mary Magdalene here. She comes to the tomb early when it's still dark. She is searching for Jesus. 
And I don't know if you know the story of Mary Magdalene. There's, she's mentioned more than some apostles in the gospel. She's mentioned 12 times. She was a dear friend of Jesus. But where we first encounter Mary Magdalene is in the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 8. It says that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. So you can imagine how mentally tormented, how physically battered Mary Magdalene was when she encountered Jesus. We think about mental health and how it's a common subject now and we're getting more familiar and comfortable with language and talking about it. You can imagine how uncomfortable it was back in the day when people weren't talking about mental health. To be demon-possessed, she would easily have been ostracized by the entire community. Everybody would have been afraid of her. She wouldn't have had a control of anything. And if you know anything about the biblical number seven, it's a complete number. So it's almost as if to say demons had complete authority over who she was and how she lived and how she moved and how she thought. So this Mary Magdalene, seven demons, cast out by society, bruised, beaten, probably not known by anybody, probably not even known by herself because she probably couldn't think straight with all the chaos going inside of her, encounters Jesus and she becomes a new woman. He removes the demons, he removes the evil forces, and he restores her humanity. Now, I don't know your backstory. I don't know where you've been. I don't know if you've experienced demons. I don't know if you've experienced pain or abuse or trauma or lies or deception or betrayal, but I know that all of us come with a backstory. All of us come with broken stories that feel like we're not worthy and we're not able to be included and we're, we don't deserve life and we don't deserve love. There's a lot of lies that we can believe from our past stories. And what we see in the Bible is that Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus and he changes everything. He takes her broken past. He takes all of her pain. He takes all of her suffering. He removes what is evil and instead places goodness in her. He restores her dignity. Have you had an encounter with Jesus like that? Have you gone to Jesus with your brokenness, with the worst parts of yourself, with the hardest parts of your pain, with, with the, the most embarrassing parts of your story that you don't really want anyone else to know? They're too painful to even bring up. Have you allowed Jesus to see you in the state that you're in and to pick you up out of it and to put you in a new place and a new mind and give you a new identity? You see, Mary Magdalene knew Jesus she knew him and she loved him and she followed him. Her whole life flipped when she met Jesus. And so here we start this chapter. It's early in the morning and where is Mary Magdalene after Jesus went to the cross? She's searching for Jesus. She's searching for the one who gave her life. She doesn't know what happened to his body and it's most likely she came with uh, incense to honor his body, but she wants to be near the one who gave her life. Have you encountered Jesus to that level? And what are you seeking in life? We're all seeking something, right? There's always a pursuit for something. And the problem is you and I can get really off course in life in what we're seeking after. We can seek fortune, we can seek fame, we can seek beauty, 
we can seek our identity in anything other than Jesus. But when Mary Magdalene's life is flipped, she realizes that Jesus is the way and that he is the truth and that he is the life. And so she goes to the tomb early in the morning. Even if he has died, she wants to honor him. She wants to be near him. She wants to encounter him again. What is it that you are seeking? What we seek, we often find in life, right? You know how it goes. Looking for trouble, you're gonna find trouble. Looking, looking at the world negative, a lot of negativity comes in there. When we seek after gratitude, a lot of joy can come. When we seek after true life, uh, there's hope and there's fulfillment. And so if I were to look, if you and I were to sit down and have coffee and we get to the heart of it, what are you seeking these days? What are you searching? What do you believe is going to make you fulfilled, happy, content, you name it? The world sells a lot of packages that say that if you only have this, if, you're, if you only get married, that's what I believe for a long, if you're only married, everything, great. If you, if you have this perfect house, if you make this much money, if you achieve a level of status, it's a lot of things the world sells that it's easy I say this as someone who's so human, it's easy to fall into those traps of thinking, if only I had that. I just need to spend time forming it or seeking it or chasing it and I'll be happy. And Jesus says, I, I am the way, the truth, the life. You don't need to look any further than me. So while we might all have different desires and problems in this room, I do know that Jesus, when we seek him with our whole heart, we will be found by him. We'll be, we will be transformed by him. He's the only one that can take a huge broken mess and turn it into something glorious. Mary Magdalene became a worshiper of Jesus. And that's why she's mentioned 12 times in the Bible, which is more than most, some of the apostles. So um, carrying on with that. So Mary's going, she's seeking after Jesus. And then Simon Peter and the one Jesus loves, they all go to seek him because they've encountered him. Have you encountered Jesus and are you seeking after him? Are you getting up early in the morning hungry to find Jesus, to know him, to encounter him in the word, to pray with him, to commune with him? Are you there? And if not, let's invite Jesus to give us that desire to seek him. John 20, 11 through 18 continues on. It says, but Mary, so the other disciples left, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling for me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So my second question for us today is, woman, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? I don't know about you, but I in life can tend to really quickly jump to worst case scenario 
It's almost like a self-defense mechanism where it's like if I can imagine the worst, then I can prepare for it and I can feel like I have semi-control. And we see Mary Magdalene do this in this thing. So she goes in, the body's gone, she jumps to worst case scenario. She knows that the synagogue is against Jesus, that they're trying to disprove him. She's encountered Jesus, remember that? He flipped her whole world. So she knows who Jesus is and she knows that there are people that do not believe in him and do not like him and crucified him and want to cover his truth and his story. So she goes into the tomb, he's gone, and her mind immediately goes to worst case scenario. Somebody took him, what did they do with his body? Are they going to try to disprove anything he's done? Are they going to try to discredit him? Are they going to ruin his reputation? Did they hurt him further? Are they going to put a public display out for him? She's freaking out. Does anyone else do that where you go to worst case scenario? And so Jesus says to her, he says, woman, why are you weeping? You see, in our grief, Jesus wants to be right there with us. Our grief our pain, the things that we experience and suffer through in life are sometimes the richest soil for God to do something new. And so he asks her, he says, why are you weeping? What is your pain? What is your fear? Where did your mind go? Because you see, so often you and I can go to worst case scenarios in our mind. And what happens when we do that is you and I become blind to Jesus, right? We don't see him. Mary doesn't see him. It says she turns around, sees him, she supposes he's the gardener. But she doesn't see him because she's already calculating in her head the worst thing that could happen and what might come after that and what she should do. And what, does anyone else do that? Sometimes our fear, our anxiety, can blind us to where Jesus is. And so he's so gently. When I first read this, I was like, man, Jesus is like kind of brass. He's like, woman, why are you crying? But in Hebrew, the word that he uses for woman is very honoring. It's loving, it's caring, it's tender. It's almost like saying, sweet sister, why are you weeping? And so I want to ask you that today. You don't have to answer it out loud, but why are you weeping? What's bringing you tears in this season? What's bringing you pain? What's giving you heartache? What feels like it's costing you your soul? What feels like a weight of the world that you don't even know how to bear? That's where Jesus wants to enter in and do something new. To our deepest points of pain, he says there's hope even there. I know you're thinking worst case scenario. I know you're thinking that this is the end, that the relationship's dead, that your child is never gonna come back, that the marriage is broken, that the finances are completely out, that your mental health is beyond repair. I know you're believing the lies. Why are you weeping? Because that's where I wanna come in and that's where I wanna bring hope. You see, we serve the God who does the impossible. Nobody knew that Jesus was going to resurrect. Jesus told them all through the book of John, I'm gonna rise, I'm gonna go to the Father, but they didn't, they didn't comprehend it. They didn't believe it because no one has and no one ever will do what Jesus did. Jesus had authority over the grave to conquer it and to be come back to life. And so no one knew this was coming. And Jesus in showing up was like, hey, you didn't think this was possible. You thought the worst. I'm here to tell you I'm, the best has happened something all, I was crucified. You guys thought it was the end of the world, but I came back. I conquered death. 
I took on the grave. I took on your sins so that there is no condemnation over you anymore. What you thought was worst case scenario ended up being the best case scenario ever. The good news that we preach of the gospel, that's what Jesus tells her. He says, I'm here, I rose again. So I wonder today, I know that we go through seasons of pain, I know that we go through hardship. What are you weeping about? What would it look like to give your deepest pain, what's causing you to stay up at night, you can't sleep, it's breaking your heart, what would it look like to give that to Jesus and say, Jesus, when you're at the center of all this pain and all this mess, you, only you can do something I couldn't even imagine. I'm imagining the worst case scenario that everything's going downhill from this, but you, you alone can bring life out of death. You alone can restore what is broken. You alone can raise from the dead what I thought there was no hope in. Jesus brings hope into our places of grief and pain and loss and sorrow and hardship. Why are you weeping? Will you let Jesus enter that and change the story? Or are you set of worst case scenario, I don't wanna get my hopes up, it's all right, it's bad, it's done, it's, it's finished, it's the worst that could ever be. Mary opened herself up to hear and finally the blinders were there, she realized it was Jesus. Jesus wants to meet you in your weeping and he wants to write a different story with your pain, not a worst case scenario story. my other little favorite part about this that I'll say before we go on is I love that she doesn't recognize him until he says her name. Have you heard Jesus say your name? Not audibly, not loud, and it's not like, uh, sometimes you say stuff like this and people are like, you hear from God, like, Coley, there's more popsicles down there. No, (laughs) not that, it's not audible, it's not audible. It's often a gentle nudge, it's an impression. God gives us a conscience, which is inside, it's internal, but God desires to speak to us. And so when she hears his voice, she knows it's a voice of God calling her name. John 10, 10, 27 through 28, which we read in former chapters, says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, when she hears her name, she knows it's Jesus. She remembers when she was demon-possessed and God came in and changed everything. She knows who saved her. Do you know the voice of the Savior? Because he knows every single one of your, your names. He knows every single one of your problems and your pains. And Jesus loves every single one of us deeply for he wants to call our name and give us the reassurance that we need. It's beautiful. And then he gives Mary, he says her name, then he gives her one of the greatest commands, I believe, in all the Bible. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, Mary Magdalene was the first person in all of human history to preach the gospel. There were 12 men that followed Jesus throughout his ministry for three years. Mary Magdalene was a dear friend of Jesus and knew him, and not one of those disciples was chosen to first preach the gospel. Mary Magdalene was given the assignment to go and preach the gospel to the disciples. So Mary Magdalene went in faith and she declared, Jesus is alive. He is risen. She brought the good news. And that, that torch, ladies, is passed on to us, whether we're female or male, that we get to go forth and declare to all the world, he's alive. 
Jesus is risen. There's hope. What you thought was a period, at the end of your sentence, it's, it's done. Jesus made into a comma, but God. What else does God want to do with your story? What else does he want to do with your heart? What else does he want to do with your life? It is not, it's not lost. Jesus has a purpose for you and a mission for you and plans for you. And he calls you by name when he assigns you. Continuing on, John 20, 19 through 20 says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. My third question for us today is, have you received the gift of Jesus? Have you received the gift of Jesus? He states it in here three times in kind of different ways. He says, peace be with you, peace be with you, receive the Holy Spirit. If you were with us at conference, you know the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ that lived in him, that raised him from the dead. Jesus said, it's better that I go to the Father because then I can send my spirit to you. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. My peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Basically, he was inviting them to receive a whole different spirit. You see, the, the spirit that they were living in was one of fear. They were afraid. They were afraid of the rulers. They were afraid of the leaders. They were afraid of the people. They just saw the man that they loved and gave up their lives for for three years get brutally tortured and beaten and die in front of them. And their fear was well-founded. Their fear was that this was going to happen to them next. And so they went in a house and they locked the door. And that spirit of fear, if any of you have ever experienced it, oh, it's so real, right? That adrenaline rush, that churning stomach, the anxiety, the tighted muscles, thinking that the worst could happen at any second. That's what the disciples were living in. They were living in a spirit of fear. And here Jesus comes into their fear. Not only does Jesus break into past narratives, not only does he break into pain, he breaks into fear. What you and I struggle with, I know because we're all human, he breaks into their fear. He comes in and he says, peace be with you. You you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you now, and now I'm giving you my spirit. So you don't need to be led by fear anymore. That's the way of the world. I'm giving you peace from heaven, so you can be led by heavenly measures. And guys, that same gift is presented to us. Anxiety is rampant in our world, and our culture. It's what media preys off of. It's what we kind of almost eat for breakfast, if we're honest. Just it's part of our daily routine to be afraid, to be worried, to be paranoid, to kind of, we want to stay on top of things. And we hear about shootings every day. We hear about different killing. Like we are, we're fed and fueled by fear in our country, in our society, in our world. And God says, that's, that's not what you have to live. Jesus says, I died. I went and took that on because my perfect love casts out fear. And so he says, peace be with you. And I want to say this to all of you today. Have you received the peace of Jesus? It's a choice that we have to make every single day to believe that Jesus' peace surpasses all understanding and can guard our heart and mind. 
Or Jesus is always, he's always a gentleman. He always gives us a choice. You and I can live in fear every day and be afraid and anxious and try to like figure it all out and control it and protect ourselves and our family and our people and all things. Or we can choose to live surrendered and say, Jesus, you died to give me peace. And it's a peace that doesn't make sense. But I trust you. I receive your Holy Spirit. Come into my fears. Come into my deepest worries. Come into my broken, come into my humanity. Come into my vulnerabilities. I receive your peace. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. I'm not doing anything. I receive it as a gift. Would you wash me with your peace? And I think some of us need to pray that prayer tonight. Would you wash me with your peace? You died to give us peace. This was Jesus' parting gift to the disciples. He says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. And he comes in in a room filled with fear where there, the doors are locked. Who knew the conversations that were going on? Have you ever been scared with a group of girls? It can, like, it can go, it can spin out of control real fast, right? We're like, what if this, what if this, what if this? Ah! You can get really scared really fast, right? Because fear kind of begets fear. And so you can imagine these little, these men who just witnessed a crucifixion and death of their best friend. Now the rulers could be after them because they were followers of him. They all go in this room, they lock it, and they're, I mean, they're just, they're living in fear. And some of us, if we're honest, are living in fear too. Some of us are afraid of a lot of things. Some of us let's let fear make decisions for us. Some of us live and breathe and eat fear without even knowing it. It's part of our DNA. It's maybe the way we grew up. Jesus says, my peace I give you, my peace I lived with you. What would it look like for you tonight to invite Jesus to wash away your fears, your human fears, which are real and valid and I understand and I have them too? What would it look like to invite Jesus to wash away your fears with his peace that is not of this world? That's what Jesus offers us. Have you received the gift of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit and his peace in us? Carrying on, John 20, 24 through 29 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in my unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hands on his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand here and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So my fourth question for us tonight is where in your life do you doubt? Where in your life do you doubt Jesus? We all have doubts. We all have fears. We all have things that we, maybe like mini contracts that we make with the Lord that it's like if you're real, do this. If, you're, if you really love me, show me this, right? There's these things. Thomas, for Thomas, it was like, I gotta put my hand exactly where the nail was to know it's him and not a replica or AI. I gotta touch that side wound to make sure he really did get pierced there because I saw it. Thomas had doubts, and the reality is we all have doubts, right? We can choose to live in our doubts or we can choose to live in faith. And so I wonder for you, what, what specifically, what area of your life specifically do you carry big doubts in? I think we all have them. Do you doubt that Jesus loves you as you are? 
Do you doubt that your sin is actually forgiven, that one hidden one that nobody really knows about and you don't ever want to talk about? Do you doubt that there's hope in, your f- in a future for you? Or do you see the same thing over and over again? Where do you doubt Jesus? And where have you maybe, I think we all have, like me, put Jesus a little bit to the test? Jesus, unless you answer this prayer, Jesus, unless, unless my mom comes to faith, unless you heal my cousin, unless you bless my finances, unless you tell my kids to go a different direction, unless you give me this, I'm not going to believe. You see, doubt keeps us from knowing Jesus. Doubt is like this logical social security we play with him, and it says, God, if you don't do what I want, then you're not worthy of trusting. You're not worthy of believing. And Jesus says so clearly, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Where are you waiting to see Jesus before you give your life to him, before you surrender to him, before you trust him, before you die to self? What, have you even verbalized it to yourself? Some of you might be thinking, no, I don't have any of those. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I've been holding out. Is that well, I've just been waiting for 22 years to see this one thing come to pass. It hasn't passed. And until it does, I don't know if I can believe. You see, the problem is doubt, when we bring that to God, it, it has this way to block our relationship with Jesus. And again, Jesus being a gentleman doesn't force us to believe in him. Doesn't force us. Jesus comes as the truth and says, I'm the truth. Take me or leave me. I'm not, I'm not forcing myself anywhere. I'm not going to make you believe. You choose if you believe in me, and if you do, you follow me, and if you don't, there's a different direction for you, and you're going to live apart from me, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be hard, but if you choose that, I, he doesn't make us do anything, and so when we don't talk back to our doubts, when we become like Thomas, and we're like, well, unless you answer that, unless this happens, you're not real. Jesus sits there in truth and love and such compassion and just says, you have to believe, <laughs> I'm real, I came, I died, I resurrected, I love you, but your doubts are only keeping you from me. Bring me your doubts. Bring me your questions. Bring them to a trusted mentor. Pray with other about this. Let's break down your doubts so that it doesn't bar you from knowing me, from experiencing me, from receiving the peace I offer. Doubts, they're real, we all experience them, and Jesus says, you don't need to doubt me and put up a wall between us, you can simply believe I am the real deal. I came, I proved it, I'm the only one that conquered death, and there's eternal life, there's rewards, there's richness, there's freedom, there's peace, there's joy, there's love, there's mercy for anyone who believes. So if you dare to believe, all of it's yours. What doubts are keeping you from believing in Jesus? They might be real and they might be valid, but they're not, they shouldn't be big enough that they're keeping you from the best thing that ever happened to you. And last but not least, John 20, 30 through 31 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So my final question to you is, what do you believe? What do you believe? Not what do you subscribe to intellectually, not what would you sign off on of, oh yeah, like I, I believe people should be good. I believe people should go to church. I believe people, you yeah, should pray. What do you believe with your heart, your mind, your soul, with your life? 
This is what they're asking at the end of the book. It says, Jesus did so many things. We can't even write them all down. But everything that was written in the Bible is so that you believe and know that Jesus Christ is the Lord God who took on death to conquer death and to give us life eternal. Life eternal sits before us as an option. And my question to you today is, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that he's the way, the truth, the life, that he offers life more abundantly than anything else in this earth, that he's the only one that can flip a broken heart, a broken story, a broken path, and make it completely new. You see, Jesus offers life and life to the full, and there's no limit to the goodness that he has in store for you. The more we know Jesus, the more we know his love, the more we know his compassion, the more we know the sacrifice that he made for us. And so that's the invitation that lays before us today. Jesus says, you can choose life or death, it's up to you. I love you, I pray that you choose life. Do you know life and life to the full? Jesus wants to enter into that relationship with us. He wants a personal relationship where we know him, where we can lean on him, where we can trust him, where we can understand him, where he can come in to all the painful parts of our story and write a new story, a redemptive narrative. Jesus offers life to all who are willing. Do you believe in Jesus and the life he offers? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the author of new beginnings, God. I just believe that so clearly, Lord, that you are constantly inviting us to a new story, a better story, a future with a hope, God, that when we are in seasons of darkness, when we're in pits, when we're stuck, God, when we're lost, you don't ever leave us or forsake us or abandon us and say, good luck, God. Instead, you come to where we are and you rescue us, God. We're all Mary Magdalene's in some way, Lord, just lost and hurting and beyond repair without your help, Father. And so I just pray today, Lord, that you would come and that you would bring fullness of life in the truth of who you are, God, in your love that is too great to even comprehend. Father, would there be a tangible experience of your love, of your light, of your forgiveness, Father, of your mercy, of your grace, of your gentleness? I just pray life over every woman that's here, Father. If she's experiencing a season of maybe what feels like death or pain or destruction or I don't know what's happening, God, in the lives of each woman here, but you do, Father. And so, Jesus, right now, I invite you to come in and in your gentleness, Lord, to restore, to heal, to set free, God, to remove idols, to cast new vision, Lord, to remove doubts, to remove shame, Father, to enter into deep grief, Lord, where there's deep grief. Lord, would you bring hope and healing and life? So we thank you for the resurrection, Lord. It's what our whole faith hinges on, that you overcame the grave so that we didn't have to experience death eternally, but could experience life to the full, life eternal, and life with you here right now to the full. So I pray abundant life over each woman here. Would you bless her? Would you keep her? And would you bring her back safe, Father? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.